manuscripts of the Bible? No. We don't have any original manuscripts of the Bible. We have copies of copies. Now, here's our exercise. We're going to participate and do something. In my hand, I have two things. You guys can use the cards in the, in the dealio that I have written a scripture and then a non-scriptural book. So I've got scripture on the one hand and I've got non-scripture on the other hand. I'm not going to tell you which one's which. You probably figure it out. And guess what? It's handwriting. How many of you guys write in handwriting still? <laughs> you know, it's like not a thing. So when I'm writing in handwriting, I'm like three words in. I got a cramp in my thumb and it's just a terrible thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to just have a little exercise. You're going to take that and you're going to copy. Leonard, you really, I'm counting on you here. <laughs> there we go. So take a card out, copy that, and then give that back to me. And then we're going to pass it. So you're going to take, you're going to copy it, and then you're going to pass it down to Amy here. And then she's going to copy it and then pass it to that row. So one person on each row, all the way to the back, copy it. Hey, Tracy. All the way to the back, copy it. Sound good? Now, while you're doing that, I'm going to teach stuff. Now, I know that was shocking, maybe, to some of you, that we don't have original copies. Because original copies are literally thousands and thousands of years old. There are not original, you know, the original copy of a lot of even some of the Old Testament wasn't a copy any at all. It was oral tradition. It was spoken word. And then someone at some point recorded this thing, and now they started making copies. That's why it is such an amazing thing that Scripture has remained so pure. Because if I were to tell you, and you might be able to figure out, which side had the Scripture and which side had the non-Scripture, I would be willing to wager that the Scripture side would be really intentional and careful on what they wrote. The one with the non-Scripture side, eh, I put my own ideas in there and stuff like that. So tonight's lesson, I guess, uh, is where did the Bible come from? Where did the Bible come from? Now, one of the things that we will kind of discover together is on a where did the Bible come from type of lesson, there's not going to be a whole lot of Bible. The Bible does prove itself. We can point to here and point to there and all of the references, uh, and there are hundreds and hundreds of references from one book to another it's in that little thing at the bottom how many of you guys have bibles with the notes at the bottom can you read them still god bless you <laughs> i gotta i gotta break these out anytime i read the top part here lately um but those are notes those are times that we point this scripture to that scripture when jesus said this he was referring to that or when Paul was talking about this, he was referring to this other thing. One of the misconceptions is that the church, even specifically Catholic church, gave us the Bible. Now, we are probably not going to go through the Council of Trent and Nicaea, and there's, there's probably a half a dozen or more church councils over the years that have said this is scripture and this is, this is not. But I want us to kind of move past the idea that the church gave us the Bible because God gave us the Bible. And the reason why we know God gave us the Bible is because before the church even said, now these books make sense to be on this list, they were already using it as such. So now that you're done, give me mine back and then give that to the next row back we're skipping Amy. I know I said Amy. We're skipping you. And then you'll make a copy. Same thing as soon as Louise is. No, what are you doing? You can't put it on a bigger piece of paper. Doggone it. Now it's already an error. 
The whole point is to make it on the little paper thing. The little gold star knot. All right. Make sure you use the box on the piece of paper that I used. Because if you're using papyrus, you got to use papyrus. Now, she's like, so you can make Jeff do it if you want. Look, can you see it? You want to pass it back to, to one of these young people over here? They have great eyes. <laughs> now, imagine you're writing this down under a flickering candlelight. Right. Do you think the writers of Scripture knew they were writing Scripture? Or do you think they were just writing? Yeah? What say you? What do you think? How many of you guys think the writers of Scripture knew they were writing Scripture? Show of hands. Right? Some of their language points to Paul the Apostle, and then you have the Gospels, you have this authority, and they refer to, now pass this along in Colossians, one of the passages that we're looking at. Paul says, now give this to the other church. Give this to the Laodiceans, because they need to read this too. And so, the Corinthian, how many letters to the Corinthian church did Paul write? We don't know, but there's, a, there's at least two that we have, but then there was another, right? There's a third letter that he refers to in 1 Corinthians that says, in, in regards to the first letter, right? It's not in the Bible. Is that interesting to you? Do we think that Paul only wrote, wrote 13 letters in his time in prison. <laughs> he was in prison a lot, right? But only 13 are in Scripture. So the whole of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, is good for teaching, right? So when we find these different, I don't want to call them deletions, variances, it makes me more convinced that the ones that are in there, Paul knew it was Scripture, their authors knew it was scripture. Even in the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is. But I would actually adopt the conviction that they knew it was scripture when they were writing it. Modern day debate says they were just people writing something down. They did not know it was going to be scripture. Now, we're talking primarily about the New Testament. The Old Testament is kind of already set up in a lot of cases because Jesus's references solidifies the Old Testament. Anytime you saw him coming against the Pharisees and they would quote this and he would quote that, there was never a question on whether or not it was valid. There was an assumption, an exception when Jesus was there that the scriptures, the prophets, the law, and so on were accepted by and large by the Jewish people. Now, the canon, so we have the canon of Scripture, which basically means like a, a rule or a measure. Uh, the canon was accepted before the church started saying that it was actually Scripture. So in the New Testament, there's 27 books. They accepted 22 books several, a couple of hundred years before they started making lists. You with me so far? So it's not like Greater Life Church makes a gray chair. It's that Greater Life Church recognizes there's a gray chair there. You see the difference? Because the church doesn't give the scripture. It's God who gave and the church recognizes. How's it going over there, Dave? You confused already? Are we at the second? Are we the next row? Oh, Monica's got it. Goodness gracious. All right. Now. It's kind of like biology. <laughs> the scriptures are and always have been, since they've existed, what God intended them to be. The recognition happened what was already there implicitly. And this is a great example for us today, because a duck is still a duck, even though it identifies as a goose. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a duck. 
Scripture was already Scripture before the church called it as such. So they were recognizing that. Now, this being apostolic apologetics, what you're trying to do is to get a little bit of a fodder or uh, an equipping. And can I be honest with you? Anytime I study a really deep, deep subject, I realize how little I know. Anybody else? This is why I'm not a doctor. Because I know just enough to be dangerous. Now, as I was looking at this, I said, okay, Lord, what do we want to unpack? Do we want to look at historical timeline? Do we want to look at the miracles of preservation? We'll look at some of that. But I think what you need to know, what I need to know, is when someone says, well, they didn't know they were writing Scripture, then what is our response? We just, did, we just went over this one. They didn't know they were writing Scripture. What is our response? They did. The way they wrote it, the authority in which they wrote it, the way they referred to each other, Peter refers back to Paul, and it becomes this internal bouncing around within the church in early church history where they're referring to this as Scripture. If you own your own Bible today, which all of us do, quick question. How many of you guys own one Bible? All right, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten or more, right? We got Scripture. Your phone doesn't count. <laughs> all those translations on there, man, I got a lot. You own your own Bible today, we can acknowledge and understand that we are in a tiny percentage of Christians who can say that they have. Most of church history, the only way to get a Bible is to write your own copy. I would go to Jeff's house and say, hey man, can I copy your scripture? And then I sit there for hours on end and I meticulously write down the copy. Now, that's not something that I can do cheaply. It would have cost me in those days about 10,000 bucks just in writing materials, ink, papyrus, scroll, whatever you're using, $10,000 just to get a copy of the Scripture, the Bible. I just want us to be aware of how lucky we are. <laughs> Amen? The canon of Scripture, we find these different, um, again, these different councils who acknowledged the 66 books of the Bible that we know and love, but did you know, and many of you may, that the Catholic Bible has more books than we do? Right? We're going to go through why they're wrong. <laughs> in, just, in just a minute. But first, let me talk about this question that um, someone might bring to you. Has there been a deletion or error in the editing of Scripture. When we say the Word of God is inerrant, we are speaking of the Word of God, the original transcripts. There are sometimes called textual variances. Textual variances, which means variances in the text. <laughs> it's a very theological term here. But it, but it basically boils down to, by and large, it boils down to, uh, scholars call it the movable new. Instead of a apple, it'll say an apple. Some of what you're doing right now, when I get it back, we're going to see some textual variances. We're going to see some adjustments. We may even see a train wreck in translation. But I'm ready. I'm hoping that it proves a point. If it doesn't, I won't even mention it. I'll just put it behind me. <laughs> Today, there are over 2 million pages of handwritten copies of Scripture. We say there are 2,500 of this and 5,600 of that, but that's collectively 2 million pages of handwritten copies of Scripture. There are 400, catch this, 400,000 variants out there. Now, this should not cripple our faith at all. To acknowledge to the naysayer that, yes, 
I know there's probably 400,000 variances out there. But what we're talking about is not the letter and the textual variances. What we're talking about is the message of the Scripture. We're talking about what God is bringing, uh, um, the message that he's bringing apart to us. All right, wow, let me see. Where's my original one? This is my original one. Oh, okay. We don't have the other one yet. 1,500, there are 1,500 of those that have been studied extensively, and they've come back to the understanding that at most it's these types of variances. In other words, an apple versus a apple, and it has this, um, it, they've confirmed that it's not something that needs, you, needs to concern any of us. Matter of fact, in the Middle Ages, when the printing press was getting up and running, King James Bible and all those kinds of things, there's a Bible actually called the Adulterer's Bible. Anybody ever heard of that one? So, you know the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, a certain printer who, who lost their head, literally, after this mistake, thou shalt commit adultery. <laughs> so, they forgot the word not. Now, that is one where the essence of the word is definitely the other side of things. And now, this particular person, of course, is, well, no longer with us because it's hundreds of years ago, but he was no longer with anybody shortly after that. Prov providential preservation. I've got a whole thing on this. Let me find it. Providential preservation. You want to say that three times too fast? Providential. What's providential mean? Providential means somebody was involved. Who's involved? Preservation means to, come on, you can do it. Reserve. Yes, got it, man. You're an engineer. That's why you know that. <laughs> Providential preservation shows us the history that God displays when he preserves the Scripture. The original inscripturization of God's word, what scholars call is the autographs, we find there that, it, uh, for example, Paul's original letter to the Romans, Moses' initial inscription of Deuteronomy, we've got some very, very old ones, and others are these original pinning of even Psalm 23 when David wrote it down. But we have copies of these original things, copies of copies. But whatever degree the copies are, it still remains accurate providentially to the original context. In other words, there may be a copy over here in this village and a copy in that village. And as they find these different sources and they lay them together, and of course we have thousands now, it's proven to say the same thing. That is no sh nothing short of miraculous. We're just doing four or five rows, and I think we're going to experience more than a textual variance, but we'll see. The observation will arise that what about these copies? What about these original manuscripts? We've already talked about that we do not have those. But God is all-powerful and can do anything he wants, right? What if God chose to supernaturally preserve the scriptures in a different way that'd be awesome right that's kind of what the mormons say it came down from heaven from an angel and then we wrote rewrote it down even the quran is said to be given by an angel to um, muhammad but god used people to make copies of copies and now we find something in 1947 called the Dead Sea Scrolls, and we lay it on top of what we have, and we go, wait. Other than some textual variances, the message is still the same. God is still speaking, right? To me, that speaks more of God's providence. So the will of God being able to use the people of God over thousands of years to, to preserve his word is an amazing thing. We can compare now those copies over the whole history of the transmission and translation. 
We have copies that go back not just 500 years, 1,000 years, but over 2,000 years, which means we can trace even historically during different time periods. One of the big things that the church has a problem with is we say the Word of God doesn't apply to today. Right? We, you know, not we. But the argument is what was good then is not good now. What was applicable then is not applicable now. But I'm telling you, if it worked 2,000, 3,000, 1,000 years ago, and it applies then, then the same words of God applies now. Amen? We really want to get away from the fact that it applies to us today so we can make our own gospel. I, I can tell you that bringing the word, even this past Sunday, in the way that we brought it, it really captivated by and large, a certain demographic of people. Guess who? Young adults. Because they're hungry for truth. Straight up, unfiltered, unadulterated truth that comes from God. Let me see here. Let's, let's go through the, let me see the rose thing. I'm curious. Where are we at? All right. Who's writing? Are you writing? You got two people writing? Boy, you guys. Y'all are giggling over here. <laughs> Give me your textural variants. Give me that. What in the? There's two people writing on this one. You might you might have handed this over to your scribe. Let me see. All right, this is gonna be fun. Let's see. It might be good. We'll see. How many of you guys think it's gonna be good? All right, well, I got one here. Some confidence. All right. So the word hymns is not in the scripture. We got a name wrong. But other than that, it's pretty close. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas, but on well, which Peter is Demas Peter, please give my greeting to our brothers and sisters Laodicea and to Nymph who, Nympha, who uh, is the church and meets in her house. That's pretty good. Why does it matter that one name is missing? What do you think happens in that context? Yeah? So, so a lady's name is missing, and instead it says hymns. You know, amazing grace, amazing grace. So what would that impact to the message? Come on, talk to me. Missing information, does it change the message? Doesn't, it, it doesn't change the message as much as it changed the historicity of the message. Did you know that up until recently, people didn't even believe that Pontius Pilate was real? As a matter of fact, historians for decades tried to Proved that he wasn't ever a historical figure at all until archaeologists found his seal and found a, um, what do you call it, not a statue, memorial, something that had his seal and his name on it. And now Pontius Pilate is not only real, but those same historians are writing books on who Pontius Pilate was. Isn't that crazy? So the name that comes in there is important because it's something we look at now and we say, okay, this is real. Okay, let me see. This is the other one. Pretty good. Pretty good. In both cases, they're pretty close. Now, the other one comes from the book of Enoch and the book of the giants. Is it scripture? What is this called? Not scripture, but ap apocryphal. This is extracurricular, extra scriptural. Now, the book of Enoch, I believe, is in the uh, 
the Catholic Bible, but it talks a lot about the Nephilim. So if you're curious about the Nephilim, you can read that. But again, that's not scripture. So let's talk about what makes it not scripture. Here we go. I'm going to skip to that part. The Old Testament canon, the Old Testament canon, uh, the canon was both spoken but also uh, was written. It was both biblical and non-biblical sources. It was confirmed to be the canon. In other words, outside of the Bible, we have historians and other contemporary authors referring to it. One guy named Josephus referred to the 22 books in the New Testament and also referred to the books of Moses and the books of the law and uh, books of history and so on. Then we also have Josephus, who, for all intents and purposes, this historian Josephus is where we get a lot of our proof that Jesus was actually a real person because he refers to the contemporaries of Jesus and so on. Josephus actually said about Christians something amazing, but he actually said about the Bible or Scripture that he is firmly given credit to those books of our nation and evident of what we do for doing so many ages has already passed. And he goes in through this thing and he calls them divine. He calls them uh, that the Jewish people have recognized them, that they are divine in nature, and uh, they're, they're something that can be trusted with the history uh, within those. So we find other sources recognizing the Old Testament canon. The Old Testament canon is broke down in basically three categories. Jesus even indicates it in Luke chapter 24, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me, breaking it down into the law, the writings, and the prophets is the threefold division of Old Testament scripture. So Jesus, in doing that, grabbed all of it and brought it into the Old Testament canon, the actually confirmed. Again, we talked about 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter refers to people twisting scriptures, some things that Paul, he's referring to some things that Paul wrote. Paul wrote to Timothy and quoted from the Gospel of Luke. So we see they're pointing to each other and making sure, and this in essence is solidifying that New Testament canon. We talked about the church not giving the scriptures but basically, the scriptures giving us the church, which is an inverted way to think about it. A guy named Jay Packer writes, The church no more gave us the New Testament canon than Sir Isaac Newton gave us gravity. Think about that. Now, we were talking about the Bible, Protestant versus Catholic. Protestant Bible trying to find my Catholic paper. Apocrypha, here we go. Apocrypha means hidden. The Apocrypha refers to 15 books uh, written. Uh, these different books were written between the years of 300 and 100 B.C. Oh, I got to stop and tell you all this. So we know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, 1947, uh, a goat farmer, sheep farmer, finds them. And did you know what? He was trying to find a lost sheep when he found the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's really cool. The story goes, he's in the mountains. He's looking for the lost sheep in the cave. He's throwing rocks to scare the sheep out. He throws the rock, and he hears pottery break instead of getting the sheep. I just think it's really fun to consider that a shepherd was looking for a lost sheep and found the Dead Sea Scrolls. But you also know that before that, uh, another shepherd discovered the Gnostic Gospels and some Gnostic writings, which basically means it's not in Scripture. It's a matter of fact, it's anti-Scripture. But this guy, his name was Muhammad Ali. <laughs> not the Muhammad Ali that we know, but his name was literally Muhammad Ali, and he found these Gnostic scriptures. I'm, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked, and I know I'm going all over the place, but i got to tell you some fun things until I get back into this, and then I don't get to tell you these fun things. couple of examples. 
the Gospel of Thomas. Have you heard about the lost Gospels? You know, that like there's a, there's a Gospel of Mary Magdalene and the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter. Many of those Gospels were written 200 years after the Scriptures were already being used to build the church. In other words, people would write Gospels and attach an apostle's name on it. Why? So they could get it into the book. Because if it's accepted into the book, then guess what they get? Right? And so they'd write Gospels filling in. There's even Gospels called infancy Gospels that talked about what Jesus was doing before he was 12 years old. Have you ever wondered what Jesus did before he was 12 years old? <laughs> there were people that wrote those Gospels and tried to fill in what his childhood looked like. <laughs> one, of them, one of them said that he would make clay figures and they would walk and talk and eat. They would become alive. Um, but by far, the greatest, you get in there. She's like, oh, wait a minute, it's a fun story. <laughs> but one of the greatest is in the Gospel of Peter, the resurrection scene. So we have the four Gospels. No one knows what happens, how Jesus comes to life. No one's there, no one sees it. We just know Jesus is buried, and then the next time we see him, he's alive, right? Now, they fill in that whole piece. And in the Gospel of Peter, Jesus, when he resurrected, there's apparently an eyewitness that's hiding in the woods that's watching this thing transpire, right? When he resurrects, he's 60 feet tall. Comes out of the tomb. So we have 60 foot tall Jesus. And in addition to 60 foot tall Jesus, the witness is just in awe. But not yet in awe all the way. Because behind Jesus comes a floating cross, literally, and begins to talk. The, the cross floats out behind Jesus. So you have 60 foot tall Jesus, a, a cross. It's, it's very cartoon-like, right? And so this is the gospel of Peter. So we wonder, what about the lost gospels? Why are they not in Scripture? Well, that's why. The gospel of Thomas is all about Thomas. And Thomas's life and interaction with Jesus, it's not all about Jesus. And so we find these different people when people come and say, what about the lost gospels? What about these apocryphal writings? What about these extra books? The book of Enoch is actually pretty cool when it talks about the world and how the world was before the flood. But you can't build your doctrine on it because it goes into crazy town. And so you got to come on back here. There may be some things in there that are accurate. I don't know. But it's got to be in this category of inspired by God. Now, the reason why, there's lots of reasons, but the reasons why the things in the Catholic Bible uh, aren't in the Protestant Bible is there's about 10, uh, 9 or 10 of them. So first of all, there's no claim of being Scripture. By and large, canonical scriptures claim to be the revelation of God at some point. It's also never cited. So the books in, the, the ones we're talking about, the Apocrypha that are in the Catholic Bible but not in the Protestant Bible, they were never referred to by anybody in scripture. Not Jesus, not Paul, not any of the letters in the New Testament. No one referred to it, even prophets referring to other prophets in modern day. They're never cited. What about Jude verse 14, where he, where he talks about Enoch. He, he uh, refers to Enoch. He doesn't refer to the book of Enoch. He refers to something Enoch said. So we also understand that there is stories and oral tradition that's going around, and he refers to that. All of the books were rejected by the Jews. I think it's a great measure that if the Jewish people don't accept it, in the Old Testament as the Word of God, we probably shouldn't go there either. It wasn't on any early list, so it wasn't considered Scripture. There are errors that are demonstrable, not just 
um, textual variances, but significant errors. For example, there was one uh, where they were talking about one of the kings that lived to be over 200 years, um, and this was way after the flood, and nobody was living to be 200 years at that time anyway. No evidence of inspiration, and the Old Testament was already complete. Jesus already closed that book. Now, let me get to some other things. <laughs> Did you know that there is an Aquarian gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you thinking about right now? What are you thinking about? Come on. What are you thinking about? Sharks? Did you say sharks? <laughs> the age of... <laughs> thinking about Atlantis and we're going... Anyway, it wasn't written until 1844 anyway, so we know it's, you know, we know it's bogus. Um, there's also this idea of the lost books of the Bible. I, I want to hear your opinion on this. If somebody found, we have these shepherds wandering around finding Scripture... But when they find scripture, it's either Gnostic or Apocryphal. In other words, it's outside of the canon and it's not even considered. Or it reaffirms what we have. If they found a letter that Paul wrote, the third letter of the Corinthians, for example. If they found it, should we put it in or leave it out? Should we put it in the canon or just leave it out? How many say, leave it out? Let me say, well, I don't know, put it in. From Paul, anybody? Read it? Oh, come on. That's no fun. But if it's verified from Paul, it's probably good stuff. Maybe the third letter to the Corinthians, because when you read Corinthians and Paul talks about his last letter, that, the way he refers to it, that was, that was a browbeating kind of letter, man. Y'all was in trouble. And maybe it's something that they were in big, big trouble. Now, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and all the other letters and, and then the Gospels, they apply to who? The church, right? All, the whole of Gospel. So, Paul wrote these letters, many more, I'm sure, but those were only probably applicable to certain things in certain times. Now, let me go to this idea. What about our translations? Why so many? Why so different? So, I'm going to use the whiteboard tonight because I have it here. I might as well. So, we have a rainbow of translations. And we got formal, and then we've got um, dynamic. So, we got the message over here, <laughs> okay? And then over there on the far side here, we got the N-A-S-B. So, word for word, thought for thought, and then we've got paraphrase. Is there, something, is there anything wrong with a paraphrase? No. Nothing wrong with a paraphrase, but it's probably not what you want to use if you're doing a deep dive in a Bible study, because you'll get lost. What about verses and chapters? Where'd they come from? Were they in the original stuff? No? They came in, uh, I believe it was, what's the name of that thing? There was some smart guy that did it. Take that one to the bank. NASB. The one I like to use, it lives right here. And then we have ESV. Throw some others. KJV. Wherever the KJV is, the NKJV is. Word for word. Yeah, NKJV is right after here. NKJV. Okay. And the NASB, let's see, NIV, it's over here, I'm going to put 1984. Did you know the NIV has been changed a lot since 1984? They keep tweaking it, 
changing it, and the most recent tweaks, if you do a little bit of digging, they're not good tweaks. They remove some of the uh, um, masculine, feminine terminology. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> I, got, I got a whoa on that one. <laughs> yeah, huh? NLT's right here. NLT's mine. Not where it counts, Jeff. But the 84 is the, the good NIV. Oh, what about the, don't get fooled, guys. When you look up for a Bible, what about the NWT? Anybody ever looked at that one? New World Translation? Who puts that out? Jehovah's Witnesses. So they changed that just enough so it can conform to their teaching. Now, let's see. Criteria. What makes Scripture Scripture? I'm going to put this up here. Look at that. Now, now it's too high. <laughs> Not too high for me. Okay, we've got five criteria for Scripture. What makes it Scripture? Let me get my little stand over here. Do what? Inspire. Well, no, I got them right here. <laughs> Written. <laughs> Endorsed. Whoa, that says embryo. <laughs> Embro. <laughs> Endorsed. All right, let's do endorsed by an apostle. By an apostle. Then the second criteria, endorsed apostle. You with me? Second thing, sacred writings. Did the early church use books? Did the church use it? as sacred. Number three, the core conformity, which also speaks did the church use it. In other words, was there much of a question during the early church if it was used or not? If there was a question, they would take a step back. Did you know that the New Testament was accepted 22 out of the 27, but there were some questions about a few of those. Second Peter, second and third John. Nobody liked Revelation early on. But believe it or not, Revelation was one of the ones adopted in the 22. Uh, Jude, James. James is felt to be too much about works. And so they're like, well, this is a little bit heavy on the works side. But it ended up being accepted into the uh, canon. And so... If there were questions that would rise from these different letters and these different books, they would always bring it in and ask those questions. Also, this is a really big criteria. We talked about Thomas being all about Thomas. Is it Christ-centered? And then does it have internal evidence of being strict, uh, authoritative and inspired. So, Colossians, one good example of this, as I mentioned it already. Colossians chapter 3. Chapter 4. Paul's giving these final instructions. Says Luke that this is the thing we actually uh, translated. Verse 16, after you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. So the church of Laodicea, many people believe that that particular letter is the Ephesians. is called the Ephesian letter. Now we have these different things that this crossover of Paul saying, hand it to them and uh, let them read it as well. Paul, at the beginning of all of his writings, or almost all, has a very similar mantra, a very similar way to introduce himself. He's the apostle, 
Uh, he's working uh, not just for God, but with God. He's inspired by God. He calls himself um, an apostle, and he recognizes what he is writing is inspired. Now, anything jump out at you about objections that people have thrown about the canon or the um, reliability of Scripture? Hit me. Yes. Ooh, I got a good one you made me think of. I'm preaching, I'm using this as one of my texts on Sunday, and it bothers me a little, but not much. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. You guys got your Bibles? I, I, I see. Let's go for it. Now, John chapter 8, you can see in my Bible, it's got this little disclaimer. You guys ever saw that? About the woman caught in adultery. There's a disclaimer that says this. The most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include John 7.53 through 8.11. It is literally the story of the woman caught in adultery. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a message preached about the woman caught in adultery. It's a, it's, it's a big one. When Jesus draws in the sand, he who without sin casts the first stone, right? It's a big, big story. And yet, it's not in the quote-unquote earliest manuscript. So what do we do? Why is it in there? Talk to me. Does that bother you? Does it bother you at all? Or are you just like, eh? So here's the thing. This is apostolic apologetics. Somebody says, well, what about this? Why is it in there? If that's in there, then there's probably a lot more in there. Let me give you another example. Mark. One of the most fun endings <laughs> of the Gospels is found in Mark 16. Mark 16. By the way, was Luke an apostle? No? Mark chapter 16 says, longer ending of Mark. Why? Beginning in verse 9, because it wasn't, again, it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. So what do we do? Now, I know you guys aren't spending all of your days debating with people about these two passages of Scripture. But I do think for us, we have to have some sense of conviction that if it's in there, it's supposed to be. You with me? So when we talk about earliest manuscripts, we talk about going back to A.D. 30, A.D. 40, A.D. 52, which is the earliest little piece of papyrus, all the way back there. But how many of you guys understand that just because it wasn't in the earliest doesn't mean that it wasn't in copies of copies all around the church community? You with me? So, to me, we look at the woman caught in adultery. Can we get that message in other areas of Scripture? He who without sin casts a first stone. That concept. Can we gather that information from lots of other areas? Yes or no? Is it anti-anything already in Scripture? Yes or no? It's, it's not contrary to anything. Right, And so when I look at that, I actually have, um, in, in my own life, have not preached it as often as I used to because of that particular little phrase. Why? Not because it doesn't hold truth in my heart, because I don't want to give anyone an excuse to say, well, that's not for me because it says not in the earliest manuscripts. What say you to that? Huh? I might have lost the page. But you got copies of copies. And that's right. The earliest one could have been, oh, did you know they have technology now? They don't even have to open scrolls anymore. One of the most recent finds was a scroll of Leviticus. And they just put it under this thing. And they didn't have to unroll it. 
They can see what it says all the way through, through the technology that we have now. Isn't that amazing? What else? Any other questions or objections that, that you guys are hearing or have found? I got one for you. You don't have one. You got one? No? Yes. Yes. A lot of manuscripts have dates um, towards the top. Mm -hmm. Yep. A lot of them do. A lot of them are marked that way. And then we also have the manuscripts are... People believe that Christians were the first ones to write in codex, which means front and back. Most scrolls, most documents were just one-sided. Christians, the Bible, was the first ones that were front and back, which is really cool. Hey, I got a quiz for you. What type of paper is used to make Bibles? It's not trees. Huh? Onion. That's why it feels that way. Isn't that cool? This is this is like onion is the uh, skin used to make Bibles. Right? No. <laughs> Just a little tidbit for you. All right. On the count of three. Even if you had a miserable time tonight, I want you to clap like you just won the Super Bowl. One, two, three. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Yay. What do you think about that, Stu? <laughs> awesome. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for giving us a time just to hang out and talk and, uh, about your word. Uh, Lord, I, I pray you take this jumble of information and, and equip us uh, to give an answer uh, when there are questions. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Why do we forgive and why are we forgiven?